I want to recognize one of our sponsors. Have you ever felt like a lone wolf in life, unable to engage in chats around the barbecue since you're doing things that aren't the norm? Enter GoBundance, a place where driven entrepreneurs, CEOs, or investors who are beginning to experience an interesting phenomenon with more success in life, the feeling of a gap forming between ourselves and many of the people around us. One day, we wake up and find ourselves surrounded by people who may no longer see the world the same way we do. As the trend continues, we become more isolated and even find ourselves holding back from talking about things we are most excited about with friends, family, or coworkers. Cobundance was created for those who choose to live bigger and more fulfilled lives of impact. This tribe is for men and women who want to experience world-class adventure, bucketless trips, high-minded conversations, authentic relationships, and an environment to learn and grow with like-minded people. GoBundance is a tribe where you are able to share your successes, struggles, ambitions, and failures without being judged. It's a framework to strengthen your journey in becoming a better man, husband, father, friend, and entrepreneur. It is the place men come together to live epic lives and to grab life big. If you want to learn more, go to GoBundance.com and hit the apply button to join the tribe and tell them the Cashflow Ninja sent you. Welcome to the Cashflow Ninja, the podcast sharing how to create and grow income streams and manage, multiply, and protect your wealth in the new economy. Are you tired of trading your time for money? Do you desire freedom today instead of retirement in 10, 20, or 30 years? I'm MC Lobsher, and this is the Cashflow Ninja. This is Cashflow Ninja. I'm MC Lobsher. Thank you so much for joining me for another episode of the Cashflow Ninja podcast and spending your most valuable resource, your time once again with me. Everything Cashflow Ninja is at CashflowNinja.com. That's CashflowNinja.com. We've got over 850 podcast episodes. We have tools. We have resources. We have programs. And of course, you can grab a copy of my book, The 21 Best Cashflow Niches, Creating Wealth in the Best Alternative Cashflow Investments at CashflowNinja.com or at Amazon.com. And when you do, please screenshot a proof of your purchase and send it to my team at info at CashflowNinja.com. And we will give you access to the digital version of the book, the audio version of the book, a curated library of interviews done with Cashflow Ninjas, discussing the niches I talk about in the book and more bonus goodies. I'm excited for my guest on the show today. We've got a great show for you. His name is Pasha Esfandari. Uh, he is a entrepreneur and real estate investor. Pasha, welcome to the show. Thank you, MC. I appreciate it, man. Yeah, looking forward to this conversation. So great to have you on. For our listeners and viewers not familiar with you and what you do, can you please share a little bit about your background and journey with them? Sure. I think uh, my journey is a little different than most Um you know, I didn't really go down the college path. It wasn't for me, just given my, you know, ADD or my uh, aptitude of, of learning very well. So uh, I went down the poker route and I have to say I did it because my brother's one of the, you know, he won a, a, a championship. And so I said, my older brother could do it. I could do it. And I got into poker at a pretty early age and I did pretty well. 
I did that for about five years from when I was about from 21 till about 26. And, you know, it was awesome being 21 and 26 years old, traveling the world and playing poker, but it really wasn't enough for me. So um, I wanted to build something greater than myself. And I really had a, a passion for real estate. It's always been my end game. And I remember being 26 years old, I made the decision, hey, enough is enough. So uh, I ended up interning for a family friend of mine, worked for him for free for a few months. And I, I bought my first uh, uh, mobile home at a sight unseen auction, flipped it, got the bug, made every mistake in the world, made about $3,000. And then just then the journey has continued to where I'm at now, where I'm just uh, buying apartment complexes and mobile home parks. Great, great, great. And we'll get into that. Let's touch on base on the the poker background a little bit. Very, very unique and interesting. So what element of your poker background, what what does that bring to you as an investor? Oh, yeah. I mean, there's I think there's a lot of facets of poker that really can translate very easily into real estate investing. I think the biggest one that I, I believe is is game selection. And what I mean by that is when you're a poker player, you don't want to go and just, at least for me, and play the, the strongest, best games with the best players in the world. I always made my money by having better game selection. So I'd, I would go where there's less competition, right? And yep. so the way that easily translates into real estate is I'll go where there, again, where there's less competition. Hey, what am I getting bought out by institutional money or, or, you know, am I finding a market that's going to develop in five years from now? Where can I go and have higher yields where there's less competition, where there's less people looking at? And so that's one way it translates for sure. Another one is when you're a poker player, you always continuously have to get better and and reevaluate yourself continuously over and over again. Um, And what you really learn is that when you make good decisions over and over and over again, compounded with time, you're going to be a winning poker player. Because sometimes there's variance, meaning like someone could hit a 5% outer on you and, and you can lose the pot, but you made the right decision. And that really translates to just making good decisions in real estate, buying good properties, buying it right, sticking to your numbers. And those will compound over time into success. And then another one, I, I would say for any... Uh, audience that's listening to this that hasn't even has getting into real estate is that blinded out. If you're playing a tournament in poker, the fundamental rules is that you have to be playing poker to even have a chance to be winning. So if you sit back and you get blinded out with your antis, you're going to lose no matter what, right? And so just to really realize that you have to be in the game to win. And once you have your numbers down right, you have to be aggressive. Yep. Do you, do you still play online uh, just leisurely or do you still play at tables? Like do you do no. a little bit of both or did you do a little bit of both or was it just one particular one in person? No, it was always in person. I, I'm pretty, yeah. uh, I, I love people too much and I'm a like social uh, being, but uh, I never really could really get into online. I have obviously played online, but I, I rarely play online and I do still for play from time to time now. Um, but not as much as I used to. Okay. What were some of the differences besides being in person? I mean, obviously reading the room, feeling the energy in the room. Uh, you know, what were some of the, the biggest differences between, between the two? Yeah. So online is you really have to stick to the math, right? What position you're in. Um, and, and 
and the, you know, you have to, yeah, your patterns has to be, okay, well, this person bets this amount for the pot typically in these situations. So it's a lot more math. It's a lot more of the fundamentals and is compounded exponentially because you're playing a lot more hands. So you have to just keep making the right decisions over and over again. Now in live, uh, which I enjoy much more is because I can get a read on my, my opponents, but also more of like the psychology, Hey, that person lost. And in these situations, they typically do this. I know in the beginning of the day, they typically play a lot looser than they do in the, in the latter parts of the day, or they have a tilt factor, or, you know, there's a lot of conversation that's happening and you can pick up a lot of information because poker is a game of incomplete information. So you're just trying to diagnose what someone said, how they're trying to pretend to act. What do they do in these situations? So it's kind of like one really big chess game that's happening in real time over and over and over again, which is really stimulating. So that's why I, I've always loved live poker better than online poker because online poker, A, you know, just to even call myself out, I get really bored in online poker and I just <laughs> I would end up losing after a little while. It's interesting because I've I've heard that there were some um, people that I know they preferred the online and then the other folks are like, no, that's not even poker. Or they prefer yeah. the, the in-person. So it's interesting. I'm definitely in the other camp. I like being social. I, I enjoy the social aspect of I enjoy making fun of my friends or or them making fun of me when we do something stupid or or really good, you know, or show a big bluff. I enjoy that aspect of it. I want to take a moment to recognize one of our sponsors. One of the best cash flow niches might surprise you. It's the cash flow machine called Resort Hospitality. Our friends and partners, Melanie and Josh McCallan from Accountable Equity, are so prolific at creating cash flow for their investors that I had to include them twice in my book, The 21 Best Cash Flow Niches. Something that really impresses me about this dynamic group is that more than just creating cash flow, with these historic trophy resort properties, they are also creating a powerful investor community with an accountable equity. Investors not only get to enjoy cash flow from beautiful resorts, but can enjoy the resorts and attend Learn and Grow Investor Summits, where like-minded accredited investors gather to learn from keynote speakers, as well as get updates on their projects and meet the growing team that makes all of this possible. You can learn more how the asset class of resort hospitality is a great way to diversify your multifamily investments by downloading the ebook, The 10 Steps to Build Wealth with Resort Hospitality Assets at accountableequity.com. I like how you started to share the similarities. I mean, the blue ocean uh, strategy is is very powerful in business and investing, you know, and how you picked your certain games um, that you didn't just randomly pick them. You were very strategic in how you picked your spot. And uh, one of the things that we talk about a lot on the show too, the whole ninja thing is my dad is a martial artist. So mm. he has a very big emphasis and focus on uh, perfecting his craft. I mean, it's an art form. It's a, it's a craft that, He's pursuing excellence in daily. It isn't, all right, I'm good. I'm a good player now. It's right. like, no, I need to get better every day. How can I get better? How can I incrementally do that? Um, and then I love that you also had a system and essentially a checklist mm -hmm. inside of your, your strategy and then filling in the missing spots, which, I mean, you have a system and a checklist when it comes to investing. You have a system and, a, and, and, and then, of course, real estate essentially 
You know, and my most part about business is filling in the blanks. Yeah. Because you see, you see one thing and it's presented one way, but there's a lot of blanks that you still need to fill in, whether it's business and investing, right? Absolutely. You know, it's interesting. I always tell people that the coolest difference between poker and real estate is that real estate is a game of complete information. It's all out there. Like every single point, even from the beginning of your due diligence into the middle aspects of your due diligence, really uncovering the story of each property. It's a game of complete information. You just got to know how to track it down. And with that information, you can really make some excellent choices um, and stick to your fundamentals. So that's like the biggest difference, which is, I think, pretty fascinating. And once you have the education piece down about uh, real estate and knowing what to get into, and there's enough mentors out there and programs now that you can really be super educated where, you know, let's say 40 years ago, it would be really difficult to have this kind of information. So we're, we're pretty, we're pretty blessed to be living at this time. You know, I was just sharing um, with our community that one of the, I mean, one of the great things about today is essentially there are so many um intellectual shortcuts and network shortcuts. Mm. I mean, there's literally a program that I was enrolled in, which took the person about two years to figure out, you know, in the crypto and the blockchain space that I literally could basically download everything that has taken him two years to figure out into one month, saving myself 23 months of time, which is our most valuable resource. It really is. Yeah, it's, it's really beautiful. I mean, it's everything's at our fingertips and it's really about us educating ourselves to getting into these investment strategies. But everyone is also, because of the network we have, you know, social, either social media, internet, YouTube, all these different facets, it's, you know, people are love to help others. And I think that's why there's so much content being created now is because, because of that reason. And so it's really cool. Because in poker, you know, you you really are fighting to try to understand the information that's coming your way. And in real estate, everyone's willing to help you. It's such a polarity in, in businesses, right? And I really highly enjoy helping everyone around me and mentoring others because someone mentored me. So it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful thing all the way around. Another thing that, and I come from a sports background, what I did was always study the best players. You know, what the best players were doing, whether it be strength and conditioning, whether it be diet, recovering, and then breaking down game film, which is essentially which I took to business and investing. What were some of the things that you did with regards to poker? Did you study the the best players to check out the World Series poker? <laughs> like what was what was your what was your approach in, in that uh, in that art form? I wish I could tell you that I wasn't as stubborn as I was, um, <laughs> you know, and I, I'll be candid too. When I first started playing, the poker players were so bad. It was easy to be a little bit better than them. Okay. But yes, absolutely. You're always, like I said uh, a little bit earlier on, you always want to educate yourself. So anytime there was a new book or a new video or anything to watch, I would go and learn it. I would talk with other good poker players, ones that were, you know, close with me. And you always are trying to reevaluate what you did. What could you have done better? Did that work? Did that one play did it not work? And then, you know, now there's also like simulations that you could do. So you could put in your hand against their hand, how much money's in the middle of the pot. And then you can run a simulation to see, hey, over the long run in the like really long time horizon, what play was better? And that's what you're always trying to do is reevaluate yourself. So 
It's just fine tuning those little things over and over again. And that's what experience is. So it's essentially a probability game too, right? By positioning and setting yourself up so that the probabilities of outcome is in your favor. You said it perfectly, MC. It's a probability game. And that's really essentially, you know, that's one thing that's really trained me now is between me and my friends that do play poker. We are always like, uh, we always we bake things down in, in probabilities. It's like, hey, I don't know if I'm going to make it. We actually say, hey, I'm probably like 72% chance of making it tonight. You know, we, we break down things in a probability. We've trained our brain to think that way as well. And it's and translating that to investing, it's the same thing when you have your system and your checklist. If you hit all of those, it, yeah. it puts you up that the, there's a very higher likelihood and probability of outcome that will be positive for you. Absolutely. You get your fundamentals down. You get your checklist of your fundamentals down. Once you hit those, you go attack it. Yeah. So why did you pick the mobile home park space and that niche to, to get started? Let's, let's talk a little bit about that. So I started traditionally I, with apartment complexes because that's what I got my education on. That's what yep. I heard everyone else around me on. And obviously there's sometimes some people have some stigma around mobile home parks. And I, I believe I had that too, because I never really educated myself on it. But as I kept talking and with my mastermind groups and talking with others about it, I started to realize in the apartment complex games, as of last year, cap rates have compressed so much that I said, hey, I'm not really able to achieve the yields that I like. Let me go look at a different asset classes. Let me go educate myself, right? Kind of back to our fundamentals on that. And then once I really realized uh, the, the power of mobile home parks, because there are so non-transitory compared to apartment complexes and the yields were higher, once I felt safe in my numbers and felt safe in, in, in my risks, uh, possible risks, then I went and bought one mobile home park. It was like a 23-unit small in Alabama. And that one mobile home park was performing better than anything else that I had in my portfolio. And I just said, okay, there's something here. There's less competition. And so that's what I went for. You know, I primarily work in secondary and treasury markets because I don't need to be competing with institutional money. I operate underneath institutional money and I, I operate higher than regular te- uh, mom and pop buyers. So I'm, I'm finding a lot of good assets right now because of that. So you find that blue ocean in that space because, yeah, I remember looking into this. This was probably, I mean, close to 10 years ago now, maybe a little Mm -hmm. bit more. And it was the same thing. I had to, my perspective was changed completely once I started learning everything that I can about the mobile home park space. Because as you mentioned, there was a stigma about it. Um, And then all of a sudden you start to see the the actual assets and, and what's happening in there and go, Oh my goodness, this is like, I had a completely different uh, take on this of what it actually is and the opportunity that exists there. Um, and the, I mean, there's some really nice uh, parks too. Oh yeah. Um, all across the country. Oh yeah. You know, it's mobile home parks is typically uh, blue collared citizens that are, nope. are just getting by. They have their job. They just want there. And then also they do serve a pretty, valuable need in our economy. I mean, it's the it's low income housing. I would, I would argue that's probably the lowest income housing that you have. And mm-hmm. it's the only thing that the supply is actually dwindling and the demand is increasing on. So it's a, it's a very valuable asset to have, in my opinion. And, and the stigma, I was completely false. I mean, everyone's just working class citizen 
and and they're awesome tenants as well. I want to take a moment to recognize one of our sponsors. My friend Dave Zook says, you can be conventional or you can be wealthy. Pick one. At The Real Asset Investor, Dave and his team bring their investors high-yield investment opportunities across several asset classes for cash flow, tax impact, and equity growth. He and his team are one of the top five ATM operators in the country, and they have an investment opportunity available to accredited investors right now in the ATM space. To learn more about their ATM funds that produce tax-free cash flow, visit therealassetinvestor.com. And for the most part, I mean, one of the successful models is where the tenants own their their um, home, right? So you're essentially at that stage leasing or renting to them the space on which it which it is at, and as you mentioned, is not as transitory as multifamily because to move an entire <laughs> manufactured home costs quite a bit of money. So if even if you raise the rates to keep up with competitive market rates, mm-hmm. uh, even if you raise uh, raise the rental rates um, a little bit, it's not going to be uh, a situation where half of your park's going to move because you did that. Because they, I mean, again, it takes yeah. thousands of dollars to move a manufactured home from a lot to another park. It takes about ten thousand, I would say, uh, to move it. And so typically that doesn't happen. Now, I do want to say this because it's very important for me. I think there are some operators um, out there that will go and find under-marketed mobile home parks and then jack up the rents by almost 50%, 100%, which we we definitely don't do at Evo Capital. Yep. We, we only do about, we typically find our mobile home parks around the 250 to 300 uh, lot rent. And we're really increasing it by about 30, $25 to $30 per year. But I want to put it into some context there, right? Everyone talks about value add. The value add here is that within five years, we're able to raise the rents by 50%. That's massive in the multifamily space, given the way cap rates are, right? So you can increase a lot of value by not hurting your tenants and also providing a good, safe place to live as well. And adding uh, additional amenities, right? Of course. So additional amenities, better operations. Where we typically go in and always have to redo the roads, do some landscaping, clean up the office, take out any trouble tenants, put in good, you know, tenants out there as well. So we do have the rights that if there are some trouble tenants to evict them as well. And this is across the country, or the, what are some of the markets that is looking really good for you? That and you mentioned you're not. You're not going off to the primary ones at secondary and tertiary. What, what what do you look at for for markets, and what would what does a good market look like for you? So let me let me step into what a good market is for me. First, you know, I think to do the contrast between apartment complexes and mobile home parks. In in apartment complexes, you really want population growth, and uh, and to have a lot of population coming in because it's so transitory. Correct. Mm-hmm. With mobile home parks. That is very important because you want to see growth in every uh, market. But the thing that I look at the most is the jobs. Absolutely 100%. And I know you have to deal with that with apartment complex, but the jobs really have to be anchored. I have to think at least, I have to be so comfortable that these jobs, these either manufacturing companies or whatever companies are there will be around for the next 15 years. So it just, I need a, I need a bunch of good anchor jobs. But like, for example, you know, I bought a property in 
a population with 25,000 people, but they had so many strong manufacturing jobs and manufacturing jobs coming in that I was totally okay with that because I know it's going to be prolonged and it's going to, it's going to last. And so to the next question about where am I looking? The two places I'm not looking is California and New York, just because of the rent control laws. But typically I'm operating in the Midwest region. I'll go all the way up to Ohio and all the way west to Arizona, but I'm really looking a little bit of everywhere. Okay. So you're, and and that's the nice thing about the world that we live in today, right? You're based out in, in California, Los Angeles, and you're operating across the United States and looking all over the Midwest. Yes. We're in about like five or six states right now. Awesome. Awesome. Um, and yeah, if, if you don't mind sharing more a little bit just out of Oak Capital, what you do there and how how you work with uh, investors. Yeah. So we just started uh, syndicating some deals. I was buying deals on my own and I don't want to stop deal flow. Uh, I really, truly believe in this space. And I think for the next three to five years, I, there's a lot of money to be made here. Um, because there's still so much market inefficiencies. And that's what we do attack. We attack market inefficiency. We're buying from mom and pop sellers who haven't been good operators. And so we we really uh, like to look at ourselves as, as probably some premier operators. We know what we're doing. We know how to go in there and make it incredibly efficient. And then we just buy right. We're very fundamental. And we go and we buy it at at, at a discount. And we're able to do that because of our broker relations, because of the relationships that I've, I've made over the past few years in the apartment complex space. So, you know, I think there's a lot of fancy operators out there. We're not, we like to buy the property, right? And we'll go clean up the operations. It's pretty simple. It's pretty boring stuff, non-sexy. And that's who we are. And we just make our profits between the inefficiencies of, um, I would say, less than super sophisticated sellers. And you also mentioned that you're in that blue ocean, so you're not competing with the private equity yes. capital that's coming in. What is that range? So is mm. it a park size? It is a right. number. Where do they essentially? Where do they essentially come in and start uh, competing? And then it becomes, yeah. I mean, a, a feeding frenzy between the sharks, right? And see, that's actually a really good question. So typically, we stay away from uh, super metropolitan cities, and it's typically around a hundred units. And less is typically what they'll look for, right? So institutional will will do that. Now, because of the way the lending practices are for mobile home parks, um, they have to be a pretty pristine property already in a big metropolitan city for institutions to go in. So there's a lot of value add potential here to go into these and and find properties that are about a hundred or a hundred lots and less. But we just keep getting bought out or uh, overbid on. So we're finding a lot of our opportunity in secondary markets and tertiary markets. That means populations of like 350, 400,000, like I said, all the way down to 25,000 populations. So when you say 100 units or less, is, are they are they doing uh, 100 units or more on Typically, the lots? Yes. Okay. Like 100 lots or more. I say units just because of the apartment complex. And the right. So the opportunity yeah. is 100, 100 units, lots or less which is more of the blue ocean where you're not going to have these folks come in. Typically. Yes. Typically. Yes. Right. Yeah. Cause we like to operate um, above about the 60 lots all the way up to we're we're buying one now that 160 lots. And that's where we're finding a lot of our opportunity yet because institutional money really isn't able to attack those because of the markets that we're in. And then your typical uh, 
buyer that's just kind of getting into it can afford those amounts as well, too. And I mean, uh, it, it essentially is a supply that's shrinking, essentially, right? Because right. there's not a lot of cities and towns uh, that will allow the zoning to go and buy more mobile home parks. Correct. No, no, no city really wants to build it. And the infrastructure itself to build a new development in a mobile home park space is just uh, really atrociously high right now because of where the lot rents will need to be to make that feasible. Now, the only places that to do that would be probably on coastal towns like in California, where you can get really good lot rents all the way up to 12 to 1500. Does that make it feasible? Uh, but in the Midwest, that just doesn't happen. You're just not building any more mobile home parks. You know what was interesting before um, the, I mean, crazy gas prices started to hit the market. Mm-hmm. That RV niche is like oh. very interesting because it it was like I looked at the prices because it was funny. You know, I've got uh, young kids and we just wanted to do something fun and rent an RV and take a little trip and have a little adventure during all this time. And then I started to see like the rental prices of RVs. And I'm like, this is kind of nuts. And then the person that I was talking to is telling me like, oh my God, goodness, this is like the the demand for these RVs are crazy right now. And then you look at buying one, oh my goodness. Like yeah. the prices were crazy. Um, so I'm like, I didn't, it's so hot, that market. It's kind of, I was trying to wrap my head around it. Um, what's going on there right now? Is it cooled down a little bit with the gas prices? I haven't really monitored it. So I haven't, I haven't studied RV parks a lot, but I have thought about it quite a bit because I'm all always and consistently thinking long-term. What's mm. the next step? What are we going to do next? And where's the next yields going to be? RV parks are fascinating because obviously, you know, the pandemic and COVID really people yep. wanted to get out and, and thought, oh, like, hey, I could go travel around and do this. So, you know, I'm noticing being pitched a lot more RV parks rather than my mobile home parks, right? And I mm. see the yields that are happening. So there's definitely a demand here for that. And I think it's a beautiful thing. And I, I the research I have done, I said, wow, this is a beautiful concept and something I could see myself get into potentially in the future. Um, it is one thing though, kind of like any other real estate, right? There's a lot of land and you can build a lot of these RV parks. So the supply will be increasing because the demand is so high. I know that will happen. So, you know, the kind of the way I think about it is I, at least for the next two, three, four, five years, the yields will probably be really high in RV parks. Um, and I don't know what's going to happen five years from now because of that. I haven't heard anything about the gas prices to your point, but I, I do have to suspect or at least uh, hoping that gas prices do come down at some point. Yeah, it's interesting. <laughs> there was e- there was e- there were even parks that had a waiting list. Yeah, yeah, no, that's that's almost pretty much everywhere. I want to take a moment to recognize one of our sponsors, Producers Wealth. If you're interested to set up your infinite banking policy correctly and have access to a coach that will help you use your infinite banking strategy to grow your business and your investment portfolio and having your capital work in more than one place simultaneously and protect your capital from market downturns, taxes, predators, and creditors, you can watch a presentation of exactly how you can do this at yourownbankingsystem.com. That's yourownbankingsystem.com. 
And if you think about it, if you really take a step back and big picture, think of it. Um, and I mean, I've essentially talked on the show too that because of the just the the, the currency creation uh, creation uh, and the monetary policies of essentially every single central bank around the world, and you've got because I mean you've got the the uh, changes in economy, tax mm-hmm. codes, and so forth. The middle gets really, really hollowed out. So there were a lot of people in the middle class that had this idea of a retirement, which mm-hmm. was sold to them. That now they're getting to that point of the retirement, and it all of a sudden is like, oh wow, I don't think that condo in Florida. Let's just <laughs> use that as that as, as example. It's going to happen because mm-hmm. we don't have the money to do that, even if we sold the prime residence and downsize. So what are some other options from a retirement perspective that w- that we could do um, based on the financial capabilities that we have? Well, you know, you can have an RV and, and drive around and find, you know, s- some locations and still travel a little bit and settle in certain parks. I mean, it's a different it's a different mindset. But I, can, I mean, I could totally see that going on in the economy, too, driving a lot of this demand besides people that, you know, want to travel locally, um, you know, yeah. since 2020. Yeah, it's, you know, it's, it's this is something I, that occupies a lot of my brain space is about what's happening in this, this economy, right? Because mm-hmm. the way we're structured, when you really like dig into it, we have to keep printing money. And yep. we we create there's like some statistic that you for every dollar that's printed, like 33% actually goes to GDP. So we yep. have to keep printing. Because of that, that happens all the, the side effects, right? The poor will get poorer and the rich will get richer. And then the middle class will keep getting squeezed out, like you said. And it's something that it burns me. You know, it's it's something that I, I've looked into building light tech, which I actually would argue that it's probably more for the middle class than lower income. Um but that disparity is growing. It's something to really put your pulse on. And so low-income housing is going to become really needed. And this is also why I'm also positioning myself in, in this category as well. But there has to be different alternatives. And I'm hoping that technology with like prefabrications, maybe 3D printing, and the laws will change around to be able to build more modular homes or container parks for low income, because something's going to have to change um, to meet the demand that is increasing, you know? Yeah, I'm being pitched deals like a tiny homes where you can literally, I mean, they bring it in and it's up and running in like a half an hour. You've got your tiny home set up or like a modular home. It's crazy. That's going to have to happen. That's going to have to happen with with the way our, our monetary policy is set up. Yeah. You know, we're going to have to find different alternatives. That's also one, uh, another key point that I like to tell either my friends or any audience that's listening is that, you know, uh, I don't think investing is too hard, right? If we over, overly simplify it, is that because we know about our monetary policy and the way it's going, is the best quote I've ever heard in my life that I've ever been given by a mentor. It was like, Pasha, get rich slow. There are no shortcuts. Just get rich slow. And so what does that mean? That means buying good assets and let time do the work because of our monetary policy. And so really to be focused on the now in buying good assets, that's going to position you for the future. When when you're also able to expand your time horizon, look at your life as, hey, I will be 10 years older from now. What can I do now 
to help myself 10 years from now is I think a really key point that I love to drive home to everybody. Yeah. And that ties into long-term thinking, you know, which it, I don't think there's a, enough done. I mean, uh, no, you think of how billionaires think and all these families and family offices think and so forth. And it's not even, it's not even 30 to 40 years. It's generational, multi-generational. Yeah. It's like my children, my grandchildren, my great, great uh, grandchildren. That's kind of the level of thinking where the majority of folks are, you know, it used to be, you know, I, I would say five years now in the world of instant gratification, it's like <laughs> what's happening in the next 12 to 18 months or 24 months or three years. And it's like five yeah. years is like short term. It's like near, it's like very near short term mm-hmm. uh, thinking with as opposed to this long term approach that you're sharing. Yeah, I mean, I've I've been blessed to be able to start breaking my life in 10 year chunks. And because I'm able to do that, I'm able to make decisions as if I was living 10 years from now today. And so, yeah, I may not get the gratification today about it, but I do know that in 10 years, I'll be thanking myself for it. And that is, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm reaping the rewards now because of that mentality. And so I continue to do that. I continue to buy for the future. I keep continue to do that. And I agree with you. You know, it's even a, a very easy, relatable thing is about health right? Whatever you're eating today, whatever you're doing today is going to have impacts on you when you're older. And so when I'm able to think, hey, one day I'm going to be 90 years old, how do I want to feel when I'm 90? Will I start, will I keep doing things today to add and increase my life units back then? Yes. And so I don't think I'm going to be invincible forever. I do a lot of, you know, biohacking longevity. And even though I get some rewards today, when I'm healthy, when I'm 85, 90 years old, from uh, when I'm older, I'm going to be really thanking myself about doing what needs to get done now. Yep. It's investing in your future self, Absolutely. You know, financially and on a health standpoint and in your family, essentially, because you want to stick around and, and be in, feel, feel great and be in good shape, right? Yeah. It's like a retirement account for your health. Yep. And that's the way I look at it. It's all these things you're doing now is like a retirement. You keep putting it away and you keep reaping the rewards later for yourself, but also for your family and their generations and whatnot. Yeah, no, I, I really appreciate you sharing that. And I, I like the, the information that you shared about getting rich slowly. I always jokingly say, yeah. I haven't come across a get rich quick. I've looked for it for two decades. <laughs> if anybody finds that, let me know. I haven't found it. It's just really hard work. And it's, it's mindset, it's uh, efforts, it's actions that compound over time. Every, I mean, everybody talks about with relation to money and wealth of how great compound interest is and how amazing it is. But you just apply that to every other area of your life. It's the same thing. You know, diets Absolutely. compound, workouts compound, mindset, focusing on negativity versus, you know, uh, opportunities. Uh, you know, these things compound all of it. You know, it's really fascinating what you just, what popped in my mind as you were talking about that is that when people are trying to shift their personality or something about them, it's going to be hard in the short run. Like it's hard to completely do a 180 when you've reinforced that pattern for so long. But man, in 10 years, you can really become a different person. And in 10 years, again, you can become a whole different person. So about the mindset, about slowly doing it, you know, 
I, I do believe that we all have the power to make a 180 and completely shift the other way. But I would say for the majority of people, we're trying to make incremental changes and find out what that one incremental or two incremental changes are for the next six months and really practice on that. And what happens is I promise you is that you start to make a lot of change compounded over time instead of trying to do all at once, which sometimes I would probably assume for the masses is very overwhelming. There are individuals and people that can do that and kudos to them, um, especially if in your situation you have to. But yeah. man, make those, make those small but very impactful changes now and let that compound over time. Yeah, abs- absolutely. How do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Exactly. Yeah. Regardless of how big your goals are, just start taking action and those efforts and actions will compound. And that ties into, you know, personal development. And you've talked about the role of, of personal development um, that if essentially played in, in your success. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, it's if anyone met me before the years of or year 26, I was a completely different person, completely different human um, in the sense I was very depressed. I was playing poker at the time. My lifestyle sucked. I had a bunch of extra weight on. And um, I got really lucky because I went to an emotional intelligence course in, in Las Vegas that really changed the trajectory of my life. You know, it forced me to look at my life and it forced me to look at who I was emotionally. And um, I think as as humans, we are we make a lot of impactful decisions where we're emotional, especially when yep. we're younger. They say about by the age seven, you have 90% of your uh, patterns already set of who you are, but you usually make those decisions of who you are in, in emotional times. So I got really lucky to have a, that course happen to me. And I really made a decision right there and then to take my life seriously and head on because only a year previously when I was 25, I mean, I I remember living in, in Houston, Texas. I was dead broke. Um, I was crying. I was depressed. And I remember calling my aunt saying, like, I, I don't want to be here. And this sucks. Like, I've let life happen to me instead of letting uh, me creating life. And so I made the decision to move to Las Vegas, which led me into this personal development course, which then to even talk about the long uh, time horizons, I got so much out of that. Uh, three-month course, I knew that I needed more of this. And I said, hey, if I want to hit some massive goals in 10 years from now, I need more of this in my life. So I essentially dedicated two years of my life to personal development to reshift everything on my paradigm of my uh, personality, my mentality, and my physical well-being. And it really did. And once I got that foundation for those two years, I, then I, I took off flying with business and whatnot. What are you currently studying and uh, learning? Oh, man. Um, a little bit of everything. I think uh, I have, I've been really focused on on crypto, uh, but more so on blockchain. Just kind of learning about, I've always loved technology on that. I know that's a little bit different than uh, personal development. I think now is just more of how do I scale, right? How do I scale? How do I get to my results from, point A to point Z quicker, right? Mm-hmm. And how do I delegate? And how do I um, streamline everything? I think building this business is really fun for me. And so that's what I'm learning. Uh, I'm learning to really create a business that's bigger than myself. And how do I have really long lasting impact with this business as well? 
Awesome. Awesome. Now we talk about cash flow, obviously, on the Cash Flow Ninja <laughs> podcast. Shocker. Yeah. Um, shocker. We talk about a lot of things. Um, but one of the big the big things too is we talk about leaving a legacy. We talk about principles and values. So if you uh, cannot pass on any money to future generations and you are only allowed to pass on three principles and values to them to achieve happiness uh, and success, what would that be? Oh, this is a very good question. I would say that there's no shortcuts in life. That's that's number one. Um, secondly, it's it's your responsibility to take care of those around you if you can, right? And and number three is is confidence. I think when you have the confidence in yourself, uh, you you can really go and create whatever you need to in life, right? You can you can fail and, and pick yourself back up and say, hey, okay, I can I can keep going and 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 really making something of myself. Yeah. Awesome. Basha, where can folks learn more about you? Where can they follow you? And where can they stay informed of all the many projects that you're involved with? Right. So I think you can just go to my website, evocapital.net, or you can find me on LinkedIn at Pasha Svandiari. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your journey and your knowledge and just providing so much value for all of my listeners and my viewers out there. Thank you so much for all of our listeners and our viewers for spending the most valuable resource, your time once again with me on the show. Everything Cashflow Ninja is at CashflowNinja.com. There are over 850 episodes. We have tools, we have resources, we have programs. And of course, you can grab a copy of my book, The 21 Best Cashflow Niches, Creating Wealth in the Best Alternative Cashflow Investments, available at CashflowNinja.com or on Amazon.com. When you uh, buy a copy of the book, please screenshot a proof of your purchase and send it to my team at info at cashflowninja.com. And we will give you access to a digital version of the book, an audio version of the book, a curated library of Cashflow Ninjas talking about the niches that I share in the book and more bonus goodies. Until next time, live infinitely. presentation is for educational and informational purposes only. The information being presented and considered does not consider your particular financial objectives or situation, and it does not make personalized recommendations. This material is not intended to replace the advice of a qualified tax and legal advisor or other qualified professionals, and you should not use the information in place of a customized consultation with a licensed professional regarding your specific personal financial objectives, situation and needs. We believe the information provided is reliable, but we do not guarantee its accuracy, timeliness, or completeness.